Studio S M L. Welcome to the Studio SML podcast. In this series of candid conversations, we talk to some of the most established architects and designers in Singapore about how they got to where they are today. Hear about their personal journeys and the highs and lows of running a design practice in Singapore. Enjoy the rest of this podcast. In this episode, we have Calvin Sim of Ecoid, a local architecture firm founded by Calvin and his close friend Boone, whom you can hear from in a separate episode. Starting out from just a small shop house basement, Calvin and Boone, who were later joined by their partner Carol, have since expanded Ecoid to three offices with over 70 employees. Calvin shares how it all started, what the process of growing the company was like, and how they have established a global presence. So did you already have the idea of starting your own business um, when you were in university, or was it later on? Starting a company has, has always been on the back of my mind. So even in school and university. It happened sort of by chance when uh, somebody offered us uh, to do a project, but the condition was that you know I had to set up a, a company to do that project. So and because of that, we set up the, the office. And you actually knew Boone like from a long time ago, even before you were in university. So yep. did you always kind of think about him when you were going to start your own company or was it just convenient? Uh, I met Boone when uh, we were both in uh, Officer Cadet School in, in Army. And um, Boone was, was uh, always a sort of a creative type, you know. But I never knew that he would, he would do architecture. So it came as a surprise to me later on, years later, after NS that he said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be doing architecture in Oregon. And then of course, um, I, spent, I spent six months of dealing around, uh, not going to school yet, so I was half a term behind him. But uh, we eventually went to the same place. Yeah. And studying in Oregon overseas, do you think um, your experiences there kind of changed the way that you run your business now? No, I, but I think it, it gave, gave us a different sort of a, a viewpoint on how design is done, you know, and I, I, but I think that, that the, the, the entire experience of studying elsewhere in, in the US and in, in UK uh, really sort of uh, made the difference in how we approach our projects. And then when you eventually went on to start Ecoid with Boone, what were some of the challenges back then at the beginning of your business? Um, I think the challenge was paying ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but uh, the, in the early days, I mean, we were anchored uh, with one hotel job and several sort of um, house projects, you know, so uh, as, you know, as, as most people who start up an office would be doing, you know, a lot of residential work. But then eventually, you know, once we had, we had one or two projects already under our belt, then things started to, to take off, you know, so um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really difficult, you know, yeah. And I guess something they don't teach you in school is, is the business aspect of things, right? So yes, how did correct. you kind of learn the ropes of that? Oh, so, um, okay, so I, I think that the business aspects, uh, the, the running of the business is, is sort of instinctive to both of us. But I did learn a lot of things because I worked at uh, Architect Tangara and I worked at Nikken Seki and those working experiences sort of shaped how you know, I, I would run the company today. And you said like one of the first projects was a hotel project, right? Yes. So how did you get that job? Oh, it was purely on a referral, yeah, by, a, by an old classmate. So like some of your first few jobs, were they all just through word of mouth? Uh, yeah, so, so the, the first couple of 
jobs were basically just by referrals. And at the beginning, did you kind of have like long-term plans for like where the company was going to go or were you just kind of taking things as they happened? We had some long-term plans to grow the company uh, organically uh, and I, I, I think we've done some of that, although I don't think we've been totally successful in, uh, in opening offices uh, overseas. Uh, but I, I, I think we hit most of the KPIs. And I guess another big thing in your business is kind of dealing with the clients and um, interacting with them. Like how do you kind of learn to compromise like, your creative vision and demands from the client? So as you know, we're quite specialized in, in doing hotels. And um, when we work on hotel projects, it's not really what you want. But there's a whole bunch of other people that have that need their wants to be met. And so the first one is the client who's you know, obviously going to pay uh, for the construction. And then you have the operator. And on the operator side, there, there are guys who do branding, branding in terms of the, the, the brand identity of the, of the, of the hotel, uh, guys who, run, who do ops and all that. So I think that the, the entire process is really um, collaborative. So you have to take everybody's opinions and, and then come up with a, a sort of a solution you know, uh, for the design. So it's not really um, what you want, but you know, what the project requires. And now you guys have a really large team, you have like overseas offices. Does a part of you miss working with a smaller team? Well, I, I think the teams are still small, you know. Um, each team is maybe 10, 12 people and uh, I, I think that that working sort of a, 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 a conditions are quite optimal and quite intimate because you get to speak with people directly. Um, we don't play golf, you know. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't really market. Most of the work comes via referral still and we are kind of both still deeply involved in the design process. Yeah, but we've established a sort of a, a SOP on how to work, uh, especially with the overseas officers, you know, how we send work up to them, how we uh, guide the design. So you and Boone have been working together for like a really long time at this point. How did you kind of figure out how to separate the duties and the roles between the two of you? Oh, so we have different teams, uh, different clients. Um, generally, there's not a lot of overlap, although there is, but in general, Boone would cover more India, Middle East, uh, where I would do more uh, China. So there hasn't really been any conflicts in your partnership over the years? We're, we're both still here. And do you remember the first big job you landed? Was it the hotel that you were talking about? Yeah, there was a big job. Um, yeah, and that was in uh, Indonesia, in uh, Manado. Yeah, it, it never got built eventually because of the uh, Asian crisis in 1996, but then we moved on to other, other things uh, like the, the Metropolitan Hotel in Bangkok and then the W in Maldives. So do you recall when your business really started to take off? Was it after one project or an award or just kind of happened organically? Um, I, I, I think in, in, um, in the business, right, there's something called luck as well. So after we finished the, um, the Met Bangkok, um, yeah, we found that People liked it, you know, and so uh, we had a lot of inquiries, especially for hotels. And then the period of the expansion, like when you were opening your overseas office, so Bruno was saying how you're very good at the management side of things. So was that quite an easy process, finding staff and your overseas offices and, you know, that whole process of expansion? It, it's, it's not easy, but you, you need to know people in those countries where you want to uh, open an office and there must be a particular reason why you want to do that right so for example we opened a, a, a small office in Macedonia because 
um, we had hoped that this office eventually could service Middle East. Um, and uh, the guys there were, were very uh, professional in terms of the people we hire. Generally, they're well-trained, uh, well-schooled, and they all speak English. And then we also had a contact in, the, in, in North Macedonia who could uh, help us with running the place. So you, you have a lot of projects. I would say most of your projects are actually overseas and a lot of unique places. Is that more out of preference or there's just more opportunities overseas? I think with what we do, um, yeah, it's, it's more, it's, it has been more overseas because uh, uh, in Singapore, there are not, not many hotels uh, get, get built, although recently there have been quite a few. Um, but because we've been working so much overseas and uh, getting a lot of referrals from hotel operators, so we sort of neglected the, the Singapore market. Yeah, so as such, we haven't done so much in Singapore. But still, I mean, your headquarters has been in Singapore since you started. Is there a unique advantage of being based here as opposed to, you know, starting a overseas headquarters? I, I, I think that um, people look to Singapore as being efficient, you know, you, you're well connected, uh, you're supposedly, you know what you're, you're doing. Uh, and so generally, I think Singapore gives you a, a fairly good sort of a starting point to do your business. Um, although that, that, that advantage of being a Singaporean or a, a Singapore-based company is slowly being eroded away because you know a lot of other countries are catching up, but still we, we have a slight advantage of it, yeah, being more exposed here. Bruno saying how for him being able to travel a lot is, is very rewarding. Is that the same for you? Yes, of course. Yeah, so the, uh, during COVID-19, it's not been rewarding at all. <laughs> And what do you think is the most challenging part about running an architecture practice in Singapore? I think the most challenging part is really just managing people and or uh, managing young people. And talking about young people, do you have any advice that you would give to a young designer who is looking to start their own practice? It can be advice or caution. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you really need to be very passionate about what you're doing. Uh, you need to have the skill sets. You need to have the uh, ability to handle people, uh, uh, read clients, and finally some luck as well. And I guess now that you've um, established your company, at this point, are you quite content with the scale of your operations or are you looking to the future to maybe expand even more? Well, I, I mean, personally, I, I would like to expand the, the company a bit more. I've not had that conversation with Boone yet about you know, whether we want to grow bigger, much bigger or not, but I think there's still places that we want to go and, and set up offices. Yeah, so we're not done yet. We talked to Sim Boon Yang of Ecoid, a Singapore-based architecture firm specializing in high-end hospitality. Boone talks about the struggles he faced in the first few years running Ecoid, the success of his partnerships, and the joys of doing projects in unique settings around the world. So what made you leave your previous job to start Ecoid with Calvin? When I was studying architecture, the idea of running my own studio was a, a clear sort of ambition. Uh, and the path towards that requires that I work for experience, uh, first in London, then in Singapore, before I found the right opportunity and timing to start up uh, Ecoid Architects. And since both of you went to university together, did that idea come to you while you were still in university or was it only later on when you came back to Singapore? Because our educational paths were in parallel, were very similar, uh, and having met in the army, there was never any kind of overt plans, but the, the idea of practicing together 
uh, was something at the back of our minds, but, but never planned in a kind of um, strategic way. You know, it happens naturally. Having studied in Oregon and then in London and working there for a few years after, do you feel that those experiences overseas were formative in how you run your business now? Definitely. I think once education and time um, away from home are formative, both uh, from a personal point of view, but also uh, in the work I do. And it isn't so much the physical or, or technical uh, nature of what I learn from work. It, it is a combination of uh, obviously uh, exposure to a much broader um, arena of arts, architecture, um, a creative field uh, in the places I've been to, but also interactions with different cultures, right? Um, because the practice of architecture is always contextual. It's always a context of a specific uh, location, cultural response. Uh, and in the work we do now all over the world, uh, that kind of uh, subtle training in, in dealing with different cultures uh, have been very relevant, right? So we, we apply ourselves in many different ways depending on location, client, personality, uh, and, and I think my time away uh, were definitely useful in setting us up for this type of work. And what were some of the challenges you faced when you first started your business? When we first started our work, we are always looking for an ability to pay ourselves, right? I mean, I would say the business side of the practice is not something you learn in school, right? So it's unfortunate, but uh, be a doctor, lawyer, architect, right? Um, the university never prepares you for the reality of the business part of it, and that's the most difficult. Be anything from how you write a contract between you and a client, uh, how you uh, collect payments, how you plan cash flow to be able to pay yourself and staff, you know? So that were very, difficult things that you learn uh, um, as you move along, you know, uh, in, in work. So it was just the kind of thing that you had to pick up along the way? Yes, yes. And at that point when the company started, did you have a conscious idea of the direction you wanted Ecoit to take or was that something that slowly evolved over time? I think we are trained uh, in a certain uh, way, I would call it the modern school, you know, of design. And I, I would say that uh, personally myself, uh, I would consider myself a modernist, uh, true and true, right? But of course, modernist as a architectural language is plural, and, and that's evolved. For example, when I first started working for a firm in London, they were high-tech modernist, right, uh, of the late 80s era. Uh, and that type of design instills uh, in me now a very disciplined, process-driven uh, uh, solution to architecture. But when I came back to Singapore, that stylistic uh, vocabulary wasn't applicable, right? it evolves. But still, the ethos of rationality uh, leading to a, an aesthetic and proportions right, uh, is still very, very relevant and, and it still informs our work to this day. And I would say that um, it has evolved through time, um, but uh, there is a fundamental sort of uh, foundation of modernism um, that guides our design. Earlier on, you were telling me about how it was difficult to get acquainted with the business side of things. And obviously, marketing is a big part of that. So early on in your business, how do you go about getting new clients and jobs? The step that we have to take when we leave 
the security of employment and going to private practice is something that is very uncertain, right? Uh, you live on the back of maybe one or two small residential jobs uh, with no certainty of um, how the next job's going to come. I recall that we came out to do a hotel project that was substantial enough to have given us some degree of uh, security for maybe a couple of years. But the reality is that the job stalled, right? And, and uh, in its place, we had other uh, small residential projects that came in. And over time, one job done well leads to a recommendation to the next job. So again, in our type of work, we can't advertise. You know, uh, uh, by professional regulation, you cannot advertise for your services. And uh, it comes by way of referrals. And if you do one good job, you get the next job. It was really the way we grew. Um, obviously, now that we are a, very, a far more established practice, our specialty, particularly in residential and hospitality, which is hotels, means that we get references from operators, from clients for this type of work. And I suppose another thing they don't teach you in school is kind of how to interact with the client and how that whole part of the business works. So how did you eventually learn to compromise your skills and expertise with the client's demands? Yes, um, I think first of all, clients come to you for uh, your skill set, right? So if they think that they like our type of work, uh, that is more modern, more minimalist, or whatever it is. Uh, that's a starting point. But obviously, uh, clients have their own idiosyncratic demands that sometimes we don't always agree with. Hence, I think part of our profession is really developing this EQ and communication skill to be able to satisfy some of the client's wishes, but to guide them towards what we think is a better solution. And, and that there is no uh, clear pathway to that, right? You know, it is a, a kind of a fuzzy logic uh, approach where ultimately you have an end game where you want to make sure that something is built rationally, beautifully, uh, but still practically, right? And, um, and, and it, as a good architect, you have to juggle all those pressures. And, and I think at some point, if you do that well, um, a client uh, would be satisfied with the result. Now that you're a much more established company with over 70 employees across offices in Thailand and China and Singapore, does a part of you miss working with a smaller team? Yes, so as we grow larger, it is really because we take on a new nature of work, a larger scale project, uh, multiple locations, and, and that required us to have the, a broader footprint to be able to service these jobs, right? Uh, and part of that game is that you have to then devote time to management. Uh, later when you talk to Kelvin, uh, he is a very good big picture manager, right? Uh, and I think getting that infrastructure managed well is as important as actually the work we do, right? Because if you don't have your resources organized well, you cannot service these very high demand jobs that takes two, three years to unfold. And back to this question of do I miss it? Yes, I think Ultimately, uh, we still love having a hand uh, in design, right? And I think as we settle management properly, and that's running smoothly, we are able to then devote time to what we, we do best and what we love to do, which is actually to get involved in design. And uh, I think now I find, find that I can spend more time working on concept design 
well, knowing that the team is in place to be able to execute it smoothly um, and to implementation. Earlier, you were talking about how Calvin is the one who's very good at the management side of the business. Having been partners for so many years, how did you learn to split the duties and the roles between the two of you? And were there any conflicts along the way? We have a very unusual toggling of roles, right? And I think later when you talk to Calvin, you should get his point of view and see if there is a <laughs> two contradicting sort of points of view or whether it aligns. But through time, in the earlier years, Calvin was a very good designer. Uh, and I was the one that was a lot more focused and, and stressed by cash flow, uh, billings, and so on in the earlier years. But uh, as we got larger, um, I started to get into design more, and I, I, I like design. And Kelvin played a very big role in, in reorganizing the company structure and how the teams operate for efficiency. And we never really discussed, okay, uh, next year you do this, I, I take over this role. It happens organically. Um, and I think that's just the fact that we have been working together for such a long time. And would you say being based in Singapore provides any unique advantage to your scope of work? I think uh, it, it brings a lot of advantages. Uh, like I say, the, the biggest issue we struggle with is the cost of doing business here and manpower. And uh, it means that we have to mitigate it. It means that we have to now look for people who are better trained and, and higher skilled and then manage other resources that we deploy in other countries, for example, either through freelance work or through satellite offices. And with all the work that you do overseas, would you say that being able to travel and experience so many different cultures is the most rewarding part of your work? Definitely, yes. I think it's interesting. In some ways, someone else would find it very difficult and very inefficient, right? Everywhere you travel to that's different means a, a new way of thinking, a new uh, solution uh, uh, from scratch. But for us, that's what keeps us very inspired, right? You know, we travel, we're doing work everywhere from South America to Africa to Central Asia to Southeast Asia. And they are so varied, and that is what makes our life interesting and our work interesting. And what advice would you give to young architects who are looking to start their own practice in Singapore? I think it is really getting to grips with the other aspects of practice and not simply design. You know, as a young designer, you come out and you have the competence with your design skill set. That's very clear. But you have to equally develop a very realistic sort of uh, attitude to running it sustainably. And what I mean by that is that uh, everything from your organization, uh, your staffing, your job planning, you have to be very clear about acquiring those skills uh, so that your practice is sustainable, that you can actually pay yourself a salary and, and get the ball rolling to, to build the practice. And does that experience come from working, interning, gaining experience at more established firms? Definitely. I think a lot of young architects uh, graduating, coming out, want to get the experience to get licensed, right? Uh, but very often they are siloed in a particular area of work. In a very large firm, you might just be doing one thing. Uh, and I think sometimes working for a smaller firm um, lets you be exposed to many layers of practice and, and design, um, dealing with clients, uh, presenting, communicating. Uh, and I think many younger architects are lacking parts of those skill set that allows them to be to, to be complete.
And now looking into the future of Ecoid, do you have any plans to expand any further or do you simply look towards the next project? We're quite old fashioned in the sense that, you know, nowadays people are looking for the next bound to grow. I think currently we are on a very old fashioned path where if we're able to secure high quality projects, high value projects up the value chain, and doing it well, um, that is something that is still our modus operandi. And that growth is organic, but it is pleasurable, you know, um, because the idea of, let's say, opening another new office to secure more work, just to grow the company, just to get the size up, maybe one way, you know, if someone's very ambitious, that may be one way to get very large, but uh, I, I in some ways, don't aspire to that anymore. I find that now being more efficient, productive, keeping a team very tight, things are running well, uh, the fees are good, that it gives us more pleasure because we can then enjoy high quality work. Um, and, and that is really my personal kind of uh, aspiration. And obviously, uh, now it's really grooming the next layer of our staff. Uh, to start to be able to step up and sustain the practice beyond simply uh, the bosses, right? Me, Kelvin, and Carol, yeah. Thank you for listening to the Studio SML podcast. To hear the stories of more Singaporean architects and designers, head to www.studiosml.net where you can find out more about Studio SML as well as all our podcast episodes. Thank you for listening to the Studio SML podcast. To hear the stories of more Singaporean architects and designers, head to www.studiosml.net, where you can find out more about Studio SML as well as all our podcast episodes.